Welcome to Wisdom from the Word of God, the Bible teaching ministry of Pastor Owen Butler, endeavoring to reconnect people with God. And to walk, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen. Today, saints of God, I just want to talk to you from the thought, a case for justice. A case for justice. Amen. God has smiled on me. He has said, me
Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. A case for justice. The book of Micah, one of the 12 minor prophets, Micah ministered during the 8th century B.C. He ministered in a time that the northern and the southern kingdoms had split, but yet at that time the northern and the southern kingdoms still existed. It was in this time that Micah was called. He was called from the countryside. He was much like Amos, who was a fig picker. Micah was an agrarian. He was a, a farm boy, if you will. He was outside of the hustle and bustle of Jerusalem. But his call, even though he was a country boy, he was called to the city. Amen. He was called to come and to, to prophesy against the injustices that were being done by the princes and those who had great power in the city of Jerusalem. He was there to talk against their lack of mercy and their lack of grace towards those who were in need. It was in this time when in a time of false security as it related to Judah, Judah thought that everything was going just fine. But right around the corner was Assyria and also Babylon. They had no idea, amen, that their time was running out. But the Lord in his great mercy and his great grace continue to warn them time and time again about their social injustice, about how they were mistreating and taking advantage of others. You need to know that God does not wink a blinded eye at injustice. God is not looking the other way. God knows all of the injustices and he's taking note. Amen. There is a consequence for sin. Amen. You can choose the consequence. I mean, you can choose the sin, but you cannot choose the consequence. And America, just himself, amen, is in danger of a consequence that it does not choose. We are dealing with a time that is not that much different than the time at which Micah lived. We still have areas of great cities and folk that are taking advantage of folk even in our cities today. And so we find ourselves in this text, amen, with our emphasis on verse 8, but our context starts at verse 1. When you look at the book of Micah, you must understand that his calling and his ministry and the written word of the book of Micah is broken down into three oracles. The word oracle there just means a cycle. He had stunning rebukes against Israel, amen, in three different cycles within this book. And we find ourselves right now in the third cycle, starting at chapter 6. When we look at chapter 6 and chapter 7, what we can envision is a courtroom. In the courtroom, there is a jury, amen, there is a plaintiff, there is a defendant, and there is a lawyer. Amen. One of the things that we find in here is that the plaintiff is also the judge. But as we look at our text, we want to break it down and we find that the plaintiff is the Lord God Almighty. The defendant is the nation of Israel. And the jury 
is the mountains. Looking at the text, we see he says, hear now what the Lord says. So I've heard enough of what you have to say, but now it's time to hear what the Lord said. See, uh, folk do a lot of talking, amen, about what they're big and bad enough to do. And God lets them go along and keep talking and keep doing. But there's coming a day when the Lord speaks that the realities of the rubber meeting the road is going to occur. That the gen justices that have not been served today will be served. Because he's the one who, who make, takes mountains and makes them into valleys and makes valleys into mountains. He's the one who reaches down into crooked places and makes them straight. So the Lord says here in the text, he says, Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. He, he's saying, plead your case, Mr. Plaintiff. Let the hills hear your voice. It is interesting that he uses, amen, the, the idea, the Lord uses the metaphor of the mountains because what he wants those to remember is that it was on the mountaintop that God gave his law to Moses to then to his people on how he wanted them to behave. It was on the mountaintop where lightning and smoke, it was on the mountaintop where God put Moses in the cleft of a rock and he walked by him showing him his backside because he asked about his glory. It was in the mountains. It is in the mountains where the people of Israel got the choice woods of the Lebanon woods that they used to build their cathedrals. They used to build their wonderful structures. It was in the mountains. In the mountains where there is great strength, amen, and veracity, God says, plead your case. We look at the text and he says, hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaints. And you strong foundations of the earth, for the Lord has a complaint against his people, and he will contend with Israel. That's the interesting thing about the Lord. The Lord lets a whole lot of stuff go on, amen, which seemingly is a long time, and he says nothing. And folks are lured into the false sense of security and believing that the Lord is not going to punish sin. That the Lord is just going to let folk do anything and everything that they're bad enough to do. But Micah is here to warn us that the Lord has missed nothing. He has every injustice counted and he has the quality and characteristics of them justices as well written in his book. And one of these days when we least expect it, amen, the Lord will come and he will punish injustice. But the Lord is full of so much mercy and grace. He has given us time, amen, to get it right. We talked about the Lord's uh, long suffering, amen. And basically it means that he suffers long with us and he gives us time after warning after warning to get things right. Amen. Because God does not desire condemnation and punishment. He really desires mercy. It is the prophet Micah that gives us the best example and the best vision and the best picture of how God really doesn't want to have to punish. He really wants to give mercy. But God, if he's a just God, he cannot let sin go on unpunished. 
He cannot let it go without repentance. He cannot let it go without a penalty paid for sin. That's the reason why Jesus Christ had to come and die for the sins of the world. Because sin had to be paid. There was a penalty that had to be paid. And his darling son Jesus Christ paid it all. But the only way that that payment applies to you is by faith and trust in him. And the problem here in Israel is that they weren't trusting the God that they already know or the Messiah that was to come. They were doing anything and everything they desired to do. And unfortunately in man, amen, the desire of man is to do wrong. We are filled with what we call the flesh. And the flesh desires to do everything other than what pleases the Lord. But we look in the text and we see that the Lord has a complaint against his people and he will contend with Israel. See, judgment starts first at the household of faith. See, God is not as concerned about the behaviors of those outside of the church as he is those on the inside. Because he knows where those outside are. Amen. He knows what condition they are in. But he also knows what condition we're in. And unfortunately we live in a world that those who profess to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Are just as criminal. Just as uh, malicious as those who are in the world. And God is complaining. Amen. About our behavior. He is bringing this up in the context of a courtroom. Amen. He says, and hear my complaint. He is the plaintiff in this particular case. And the defendant is Israel. And then the lawyer is Micah. So let's continue in the text. The plaintiff says, oh my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. The Lord said, how have I wearied you? How have I worn you down? How have I got on your last nerve? What is it that I've done to make you so irritated and agitated with me? He says, and how have I made you tired? That you're just tired of doing what I've commanded you to do. He says, testify against me. Testify against me. Tell me where my wrongdoings have been. Tell me where I've treated you with inequity. Tell me how I've been unjust with you. Tell me how I've not been fair with you, O Israel. Testify against me. Why is it that when I command you to do something, you snarl and you mumble and you... You mumble and you say, I ain't got time to do that. Why is it that every time I command of you to do my will, you got everything else to do except serve me? Testify against me, O Israel. And God, by extension, is saying to his church today, testify against me. Why are you not doing what I have commanded you to do? Have you been hard of hearing? Have the things I've said been so arduous and so burdensome that it's beyond your ability to do? Testify against me. Have I said things to you that are 
inequitable? Have I said things to you that are unjust? Have I said things to you that just don't make sense? Testify against me. So the Lord is giving them opportunity to do an inventory, to do an introspection, to do the opportunity to look at what they are doing now versus what God has commanded them to do. He's giving them a chance to itemize the commandments of God and then to itemize what they're doing that fulfills the commandments of God and make a decision to start doing what thus saith the Lord. And if the things what the Lord have commanded is unjust and criminal, then testify against them. He says, you got the opportunity right now in the courtroom to say that I've treated you unfairly, to say that I've been unjust with you, to say that I have said things to you that just ain't right. It's why you're not doing what I've commanded you to do. Go ahead, Israel, the Lord says. Go ahead, church. The Lord says. So we look at our text. And he says. Uh, let me give you a history lesson. Amen. Verse 4 he says. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. He, he says to Israel. Remember from whence you came. Remember that your background includes 430 years when you were under the auspices and the oppressiveness of the Pharaoh of Egypt. Remember how for 430 years you lived in a place and that there was a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. Remember how that they used to whip you and used to beat on you and, and they used to have you to build their structures and build the bricks and work all day from sun up to sundown. But don't forget that there will come a day when they made things really unreasonable for you. Remember how they made you build brick without straw. Remember it was that Egypt that I delivered you from from that house of bondage where you cried out to me for a deliverer and I sent you Moses and Aaron and Miriam and they delivered. Amen. They led you out of that captivity. Remember. So he's saying now as we go into this history lesson, testify against me. If I've been so wrong about how I've treated you to why you won't do what I've commanded you to do, testify against me. He says to the church today, remember your history. Remember when you were in the clubs all night long. Remember when you were drinking and doing everything that you thought was going to make you happy. But yet you end up the next day barfing and unhappy. Remember when you were in illicit relationships and going from man to man or woman to woman and never finding fulfillment. Amen. Until you met me. Remember. Remember how I delivered you from that lifestyle that you tried to hold up a good face, but inside you were torn apart. Remember, testify against me. The Lord says in the text, he says, Oh my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. Remember how from Acacia Grove to Gilgal that you may know the righteousness 
of the Lord. Remember the history lesson, amen, that when you were on your way through Moab, that Balak, the king of Moab, had conspired with Balaam the prophet to prophesy against you, to prophesy a curse against you, to destroy you. Remember how Balaam answered and said, I can only preach and prophesy that which the Lord puts in my mouth. Remember, remember how Balaam wanted to take the money from Balak and he wanted to get that money and he wanted to curse you, but four times he tried to curse you and he ended up blessing you. Remember that from the book of Numbers, amen. Remember how life turned around from you. Remember how you made it through danger seen and unseen. Remember how you didn't even know that Balak was setting up a trap for you and how I delivered you and how I kept you from danger when you didn't even know that danger was right around the corner. So testify against me. Oh church, remember that on those nights when you were being out in the streets and you were pipping and you were popping and there was somebody right around the corner that wanted to take full advantage of you, steal what you have and take your life, but I spared you. Testify against me. The text goes on to say from Acacia Grove to Gilgal. Remember when I promised you that you would live in a land of milk and honey. Remember when I promised you that there was coming a day that you would live in a place where there were crops that you did not plant and there were houses that you didn't build. Remember that I said that I was taking you to a promised land. Remember how you went through the wilderness for 40 years. Amen. Remember the murmuring. Remember the evil that transpired. But yet because of my mercy. I kept everybody younger than 20 years old and led them to the promised land. Remember at Acacia Grove that you were at the Jordan River that you couldn't cross. Remember how you didn't know how you were going to get over to Gilgal. But remember how I stretched out my hand and parted the waters so that you could walk across on dry land. Testify against me. Testify against me, church, when you didn't know how you were going to pay your bills. When you didn't know how you were going to get out of the trouble that you had gotten yourself into. When you knew that you had done what I had not commanded you to do, you had gotten yourself into a snare. Amen. And you couldn't find your way out. Remember how I delivered you from that issue. Remember when you couldn't see in front of you, nor could you see behind you. But I delivered you out of the fog and out of the fury. And I brought you to a place of clarity. I paid your bills. Amen. I took care of your health when you thought you might die. Folks had counted you out and said you only had so long to live, but yet I've extended your life way beyond what any doctor had ever said. Testify against me. Testify against me when now you look in your bank accounts and you got a surplus. But you used to see red and used to see uh, needs for credit instead of needing for debits. Amen. You couldn't, you couldn't get by the kind of issues you were dealing with. You didn't know how you were going to pay your bills. You going to work and you making money just to pay it right out and to be in the negative and be in the red instead of in the black. Testify against me. Testify against me when your children were sick 
and you were walking the floors all night long and you didn't know what you were going to do. The doctors had done what they were doing, but it just didn't seem like they were getting well. And then I stepped in with the finger of my love and I touched them and I healed their body. I picked them up and I turned them around and I placed their feet on solid ground. Testify against me, says the Lord. So he says that not only to Israel, by extension, he says it to the church as well. It is a case for justice. But the Lord's not done. Look at the text. He says that you might know the righteousness of the Lord. That if you ever want to know what righteousness looks like, you've got to look at what I have done for you. I have done for you that which you did not deserve. What you really deserved was a burning hell, but I ended up blessing you despite of what you really deserve. That is the righteousness of God that desires mercy instead of punishment. And so in the text, now it transitions, amen, from the plaintiff speaking to the lawyer. The lawyer being Micah. Micah says, with what shall I come before the Lord? And how? And bow myself before the high God. He says, how, how am I going to come in front of the Lord? And what am I going to bring to the Lord that's going to impress him? The Lord has everything. The silver and the gold, the cattle on a thousand hills, and the hills thereof. The Lord says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell in it. So what am I going to bring to the Lord to impress him? After I accumulate all that I have and bring to him, is that going to be what the Lord is going to be pleased with? He says, let us look at this even closer. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? I mean, after all, the law says to bring the burnt offering. But is the burnt offering enough to please the Lord? If I bring that to him, is that all that he desires of me? Is that all I need to do in order to make him happy? Is that what it is that makes him pleased? He says, look, with calves a year old, shall I bring the veal? Amen. Shall I bring the tender to the Lord? Will that satisfy the Lord? Well, let us see. Looking at the text in verse 7. Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams? 10,000 rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah says, what can you bring that will satisfy the Lord? After I brought the young calf and I brought thousands of rams, after I brought 10,000 rivers of oil, Will that be enough? Matter of fact, if I stop looking at exterior materialistic things to give to the Lord, what about my firstborn child? If I sacrifice them for the Lord, will that be enough? Will I, would that be enough if I give of the very fruit of my own body? Will that be enough? I mean, after all, amen, that is the most precious thing that I can give. Amen. Will that be enough? For the Lord, here is the lawyer, amen, speaking, amen, in the hearing of the plaintiff and the defendant, and the jury being the mountains. Then the lawyer says, and that lawyer being Micah, he says, 
that he has shown you, oh man, what is good. It's not like you don't already know what you should be doing. It's just you're not doing it. He's already shown you what pleases him. He already shown you his will, but it's just that you don't want to do it. And what does the Lord require of you? I'm glad you asked, Micah says. But what he requires of you is to do justly. The Lord is concerned about justice in the world. He's concerned about a Tamir Rice. He's concerned about a Michael Brown. He's concerned about a people who are being murdered with impunity. That's what he's concerned about. He's concerned about folks that shooting folk down because they can. He's not just concerned about one race or another, but he's concerned about all races. He's concerned about injustice. And we have in front of our faces in a country that now has the slogan, make America great again. It seems like it's worse than it's been in a long time. So if we're gonna make America great again, we're gonna have to start with Jesus Christ. We're gonna have to start with his word and find out what his justice is all about. Because it's not about gun downing little children and getting off and not being punished. It's not about shooting folks and, and, and bombing folks and blowing folks up because you think these people are less than you are. We live in a country that is getting away with murder, it appears. But they're really not getting away with it. The Lord is watching and he's seeking to and fro. Amen. And he is against the injustices of this world. And it is our jobs, church, first of all, for us to get right. Because judgment first starts at the household of faith. Then once we start loving and living right among one another, to take that message into the world and to tell them that the Lord requires justice in the world. To stop treating one people as victims of another. To stop treating one as less than another. To stop murdering with impunity. To stop locking folks up in mass incarceration. To stop doing all these evils if you want to make America great again. That's what our job is to make sure the world knows that Jesus still lives. And there is a reckoning if you don't repent of your sins and turn from your wicked ways. Amen. The master, amen, is speaking through this prophet. And the words that Micah preached and prophesied against Jerusalem and the princes of that time, they didn't want to hear it. And folk ain't going to want to hear that today either. Because the heart is the deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But yet it is still our job as the church to take that message to the world. It is our job first to get right ourselves, to treat one another right. Because the Lord said the world would know that we loved him by the love that we show one another. Once we get that, we take the message to the world. Because if we take it first before we get right, we're nothing but hypocrites. And that the same social injustice that we preach 
will be required of us as well. So we want to make sure our measuring cup is right when we get ready to take it. Amen. But the good news is, is that we can get right much faster than the world can. Because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Amen. Who rests, rules, and abides with us and gives us the power to do the will of the master. So what is up to us is to make the decision. Are we going to do what the Lord has called us to do or are we not? But as Mother Dillwood says on many occasions from the word of God, that the Lord puts a cursing and a blessing before you, yeah. you choose. Yeah. You can choose not to do the will of the Lord and you get your cursing. Well, or you choose the will of the Lord and get your blessing. Yeah. It's you choose. Yeah. See, the world doesn't have that opportunity right now because their master is Satan. They can only do what Satan allows them to do because they don't have the Holy Spirit within them. But we have the free will because we have been saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. But we have to make a decision how we're going to live. Looking at our text, we see that he says to love mercy. To love mercy. To love means to sacrifice. Amen? And to sacrifice for mercy. There are some folks, amen, that deserve punishment. But God is looking for us to be just like him and love mercy. There are some folks that deserve for us to walk right past them and keep on going. But God says, no, don't pass them by. Stop and see how you can help them. There's some folks that, that are on the outskirts and they, they, they just ain't right. They don't smell right. They don't live right. They don't talk right. We could go right on past them, but the Lord said, no, stop and love mercy. Love, love mercy on the drug addict. Love mercy on the alcoholic. Have mercy on the prostitute and even have mercy on the pimp. He thinks he's got everything in his control and he's just another pawn in the devil's chess game. So they need prayer as well. They need somebody to share the gospel with them, to have mercy on them. We could not have mercy and then allow them to keep on the slippery slope into the lake of fire and brimstone. But God has not left us here to allow that to happen without a fight. He says, contend for the faith. Continue to share the gospel with whoever will listen. Amen. Because you don't know who's going to receive it and be changed. There are stories of those who were the most unlikely suspects of being a Christian who have turned from their wicked ways and been the best Christians that ever was. One of them being Saul, whose name is Paul. In his days as Saul, you would never imagine him being a Christian. He was punishing the church and he was persecuting them. He was on his way to Damascus, amen, with papers to lock up the Christians when he met Jesus on the road. Nobody would have thought that, but God had a plan for him. And you don't know how bad the next person is outside of here who God doesn't have a plan to use them to change a world. You just don't know. So you got to be on the job. Amen. And so the Lord is saying, love mercy. So we look at the text and he says, and walk humbly with your God. As I close this message today, on a case for justice. If you're going to be able to do that which God has called you to do, you got to walk humbly with the Lord. 
This is not something you can just set out to do on your own and get it done. You got to get up every morning praying and asking the Lord to fill your cup and to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You don't know where to go and you don't know who to talk to, but the Lord does. When you walk humbly before the Lord, you esteem the Lord to be higher than yourself. Pride has to take a back seat, amen, when you're humble. So today I'm saying, church, be humble, amen, before the Lord. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Don't do what you can't do, do what you can. And the Lord has given us all the opportunity to be a witness for him. Don't let these opportunities while the blood runs warm in your veins to miss this. Because you don't know the day or the hour that your life is going to be required of you. So the day is the day of salvation. The day is the day of ministry. The day is the day of mission. The day is the day of opportunity to say something to somebody. To do something for somebody that will make a difference in their life. Not just for time, but also eternity. God bless you and God keep you is my prayer. Amen. Amen. At this time, the doors of the church are open. Amen. There might be somebody here today, amen, who does not know the Lord and the pardon of their sins. Amen. And it's time to get to know him today. Don't wait another minute, another second, another hour. Get to know the Lord today. There is a room at the cross for you. There is a room at the cross for